0: Welcome to another episode of Chips and Channels. I'm your host, Seth Singleton. Really appreciate you joining me this week. It's been a few weeks since I've recorded a new episode, and I can give you the honest reasons behind that. One, there was a job. There is still a job. It's been a lot of fun. I've really been enjoying about it. It's an NDA, so I can't talk about it, but it has absorbed quite a bit of my time. And it's not like it asks it of me. It's that I know in order to get it done right, that's how much time I got to put in. However, smack dab in the middle of all that, I also decided that maybe after having a full knee replacement on my left knee and then making that my fourth surgery on that knee and feeling like after a year I'd been very healthy, I felt very comfortable and confident, like I was growing stronger. So I then decided when it was offered to me, hey, why not go check out an adult league team? Light and easy supposed to be no contact, everything should be fun, and they had a uh, game pickup that I could go out and join back on uh, July 2nd. So I said yes, thought it would be a great time, picked up some turf shoes, socks and shin guards, and went out there. And I lasted about 25 minutes until a really big guy, much bigger than me, um, both height and weight, just very large athletic person. Well, he was going for a ball, and he missed it. So another player came in for it, and he mishit it, which meant they both kind of split away from the ball. And I had an opportunity to drive forward, so I did. As I did, I'd been keeping in mind, left knee's been replaced. Use the right knee. Step forward. Use that to sort of lead your attacks. And I did. And then there was a big moment. I heard the tearing sounds. I, I can't quite describe them. There was almost a suction-y feeling. And then I came up rolling in the dirt. And as I came up, they kind of helped me sit up. And I looked around. And I knew my knee was in trouble. And I knew it was my right knee, which had never had surgery, had maybe suffered a couple of you know hyperextensions and things like that. But for the most part, it had been the good knee. And now it was injured. I did my best to try and get up and I couldn't, so they helped me off the field. I did my best after to try and stretch and move around. Uh, Someone had some disposable ice packs nearby and brought me a couple of those. But after a few minutes of trying to get up and stand and feeling it slip and knowing that association when I had torn my ACL, I knew I was in trouble. And then after a little while of just sort of feeling like I could walk to my vehicle and get home, that things were, you know, going to be okay if I could do that and then eventually get some medical attention. Now, for fun, I decided to drive uh, the little Vespa that my wife had picked up some years ago and has been my wonderful alternate driving method, especially if I'm staying local and I don't know what the parking situation is going to be like. That thing is amazing. It just, It fits anywhere. It gets amazing gas mileage. But on this day, it happened to be overcast and drizzly. Oh, and I had to stop and get gas. It was just one of those things where afterwards, if you've been in a similar situation, you wonder, I wonder, as I did, if I can even go back to playing this sport again once I get whatever just happened to me fixed. Or was that the last time I step on a field? Now, I know I'm not alone in this experience. I know there are plenty of people who either got an injury, recovered, and never went back to the sport or took some time off. And then when they went back, something happened, an injury, another injury, or an experience that simply raised the question, how much longer can I keep doing this? Because at some point, as we get older and the body breaks, it's harder and harder for it to heal. It's harder and harder for us to recover and the strain it takes on our overall health between medications for treatment, recovery from procedures. It's a lot. So if you're out there and this has happened to you, you've either gained a new injury at an older age, got your first injury at an older age, uh, got an injury after coming back because it was funny. As I'm sitting on the sideline, I was talking with people and Different people, of course, had seen me gone down. One person was very clear that it looked very bad and they were surprised I was trying to be upbeat. Um, I also didn't want the guy to feel bad. Like if you've hurt somebody and you feel bad, there's, there's really... <sighs> there's not much worse you can feel. And if you do, it's even harder to deal with. So I was trying to keep an upbeat spirit and also trying to convince myself it wasn't nearly as bad as I was worried it was. And they pointed out that many people who came out for their first game would have a good time and then never show up again. And most of the time it was because they'd suffered an injury after coming back out. And I wondered how often this happened. And I figured, well, who else to ask but other people who love the sport and either this might have happened to them or they know someone. So if you got an example, send me a message. Uh, I have a nice email address there for you, Chips and Channels. Go ahead and send me whatever your story might be, and if you'd love to come on and tell it, I would love to invite you to do so. But that was my experience, and I'll have updates for you. I got the MRI. It's it's not good. Tore my ACL almost completely. Tore my MCL. Lateral meniscus tear. Uh, Some other fun details that, uh, unless you want to hear all about that, uh, let me know, and I can give some more detailed reports in the future in another episode. And I'm fairly certain this will require surgery. I'm hopeful it can be done soon. And as that progresses, I will be happy to uh, share my experience with you. Looking forward to the opportunity to hearing your thoughts and experiences so I can share them with everyone. I think sometimes when we can hear the stories from others and sometimes commiserate, sometimes just reflect, sometimes be grateful, that it can give us that extra fuel when it comes to healing, when it comes to reflecting, when it comes to the fact that in all things, injury is a trauma and dealing with it for some reason is always better and easier when you've got others to do it with you. All right, so as I mentioned, I injure the knee. I realize I need that ice machine that I'd been using on my Knee that I had had replaced, I put it up, I was able to have my wife take me to the hospital later that night, get an X-ray, get some uh pain medication, just so I could sleep through the night, get some ibuprofens, and then there I was. For the first couple of nights, the easiest thing for me to do was sleep on the couch instead of trying to go upstairs and go to bed. And about the second or third day, I realized a very interesting blessing had come my way in the fact that both the Euro 2022 as well as the uh, Copa America Feminina had just come up. And that games were starting. So I got the chance to try and catch as many games as possible. I had a really great time doing it. There were a lot of fun scores on the first day of the three-day group stage match days. I got the chance to catch the France-Italy game. That was fairly amazing. It took off like a rocket. And it just seemed like all Italy could do was try and uh, hold on. You know, they got their one goal, but France was so unbelievably dominant. And then we had both Spain and Norway capturing 4-1 victories, Spain beating Finland 4-1, Norway topping North Ireland 4-1, Germany getting a 4-0 win over Denmark who suffered a red card while we had a couple of ties. Both uh, Netherlands versus Sweden and Belgium versus Iceland ended up in 1-1 ties And then we had Portugal versus Switzerland, which ended up in a 2-2 tie. that was all of the excitement that could be contained from uh, July 6th through about, what was that? Oh, yeah, through about the 10th. It was a busy period. You had two good games just about every day. And not a bad way to spend time on the couch while icing and, you know, the dogs and life. Getting into uh, the match day, two had some interesting developments perhaps one of the biggest news stories that was out there was the story of england defeating norway eight to 8 to zero yeah that was a tough one in fact I, I got to catch a later norway game and i heard the announcers talking about how it was important for the coach to bring in a sports psychologist and give these players an opportunity to just talk about what they've been experiencing because as you well know fans are not always quiet when it comes to uh, a terrible loss, when it comes to an embarrassing experience. And they had plenty to say. And the players, despite probably their best efforts to ignore it, they heard it all. It it was harmful. It was destructive. And the worst thing is, is that was match day two. There's still a third match day to go. There's still the hope that you can get into one of the uh, later stages, but also knowing that the whole time you've been treated so badly after a horrible mistake that makes you feel so badly that they they did their best to try and address it in as honest and expedient a way as possible in the hope that when they came around to their next game, which would uh, be against Austria, that they would have that sort of recovery, that there would be time to regroup but it was difficult to say the least and the challenges were extensive um england they were relentless the the scoring i mean by the end of the first half it it was already pretty substantial and from that point on it's just you know pouring on gravy sweden topped switzerland two to one as well as france beating belgium Two to one. Belgium suffering a red card in that one, finding themselves underpersoned for the match. When it comes to uh, scoreless matches, Austria beat North Ireland two to zero. Germany had topped Spain two to zero, and Denmark defeated Finland one to zero. We also had Italy and Iceland nodding up for a one-one tie, and Netherlands defeating Portugal narrowly three to two. Moving into match day three, things got, things got intense. England, who had already put quite a powerful display on against Norway, defeated Northern Ireland 5-0. I actually thought I was going to watch that game, according to the TV. And then, despite it saying it was showing the Northern Ireland-England game, it ended up switching me over, so I had a choice. I could, uh, I could watch the Austria-Norway game. Or I could, <laughs> well, that was really all I could do. So I was a little surprised at that one, intrigued by the score, wished I would have had the chance to see it. I didn't, caught the highlights like everybody else did. Now, as I mentioned, Norway, who had suffered that painful loss to England, went ahead and faced off with Austria. They lost 1-0. to It was a better showing, but still, any time that you're blanked and... It's, it's more than one game in a row. That's going to be pretty hard. When it comes to other shutout victories, Germany topped Finland 3-0, Spain overcame Denmark 1-0, and Sweden beat Portugal 5-0. I saw some of that game as well. That was a tough one. That, that wasn't easy. Belgium also beating Italy 1-0. And those were our shouts. There was only one tie for the match day, 3 of 3. That was Iceland, France. And then Netherlands defeating Switzerland, 4 to 1. And like that, we're into the quarterfinals. It's been pretty exciting so far. I've enjoyed it a lot. New matchups that we're looking at, England and Spain. They are playing on the 20th. And then we have on the 21st, Germany versus Austria the 22nd is Sweden versus Belgium, and then on the 23rd, France versus Netherlands. Now, along the way, there's also been some very interesting stories that have caught my attention, and they've been very interesting because they deal with the other context of the Euro 2022, which is the fact that on these big platforms, so many different social issues of importance around the world have come to light, and it is through them that often... This lens is used to take in what is just a sporting event in the eyes of some and the other eyes of others. It is a representation of where we are as countries, as a world, as a people, and the progress that we have or have not made up to this point. Now, the problem that's being raised is one that first appeared in a story from The Atlantic describing how those watching the Euro 2022 were having trouble seeing themselves represented in the teams. This struck home for England's Euro 2022 squad, which, according to the picture that was shared and has been shared, features no persons of color and there's a question about how much the team that is playing represents the community that makes up the country they're supposed to be representing. A comparison is made to Gareth Southgate's men's team. They reach the final of the Euro 2020 with 11 players of black or mixed heritage among their 26-player squad. On the 23-player women's squad known as the Lionesses, There are only three players, Nikita Paris, Demi Stokes, and Jess Carter, who are of black or mixed heritage, and none are expected to start in the game against Spain on Wednesday. All 11 of the players who came onto the pitch were white, and as described by presenter Alid Barbour, This is something that points towards a lack of diversity in the women's game in England. These comments changed the conversation, and very quickly, there was a social media backlash, high-profile commentators from outside the game, both criticizing the presenter, the BBC, for questioning the, the squad, but both former England players and Others, including Alex Scott and Anita Asante, defended Barber and supported the suggestion that perhaps the 2022 squad from England does not reflect the demographics of the nation, which is also hosting this event. So, as it was said by Anita Asante... Budding lionesses need role models to whom they can relate. That is one of the many questions why diversity is so important and why it is legitimate to question the England team's whiteness. Asante made 71 appearances for England's national team. This was between 2004 and 2022. She even went on to say that young girls who cannot see anyone who looks like they do lack heroines to emulate, and that matters. It's a difficult challenge for an English team that so far has amassed 14 goals, has been absolutely dominant in every appearance so far, and yet the methods by which they are achieving this success raise questions about how accurate their selected pool of representatives really is. It's a consequence of the recent professionalization of the women's game and the WSL, which was formed in 2010. Um, Even the Professional Footballers Association has identified what it is being called as a fault line in the See It, Achieve It campaign to counter the absence of visible role models from ethnically diverse backgrounds, which is a long way to saying that this isn't just something being pointed out by a presenter like Barber. It's something being pointed out by former players. It's something being pointed out by a professional association designed to do one thing, analyze how well professional sports is being administered, how well it is being supported, how well it is being relegated, and how well it is representing those it's supposed to be. Because when it's not, there's a question of what is happening at what stage that's causing there to be a difference in representation of the community that the team is supposed to be drawn from and the community watching, which represents a larger community of diversity than the team reflects. It's a problem in that if you want to continue to ask the best potential, the best talent to consider your squad, there has to be a reason that's compelling for them to want to join. And one of the easiest is to show young athletes that there are people who look just like them, who are performing and competing at the highest level. Otherwise, the attraction will be limited by the fact that these are questions that haven't been answered. And until they are, Those who might consider, hey, this is something I want to do or that's a place I want to be, are looking for the reason that says this is a place that will accept me for wanting to be there, that will welcome me. Until that happens, all the goals, all of the hosting glories that are coming England's way will be marred by that. I think England has the potential, as they've shown in Organizations like the EPL to be responsive, the challenge will be how is that received and will it feel authentic to the need that it's supposed to be addressing? Okay, so now that we're caught up on the Euro 2022, let's take a look over at the Copa America Feminina 2022. This has been a wild series of competitions. I mean, the Euro has its own sort of highlights, and uh, Copa America Femenina has some amazing ones as well. It's, it's pretty phenomenal, the games that I've seen so far. I mean, it was great for me because I'm, as I said, laid up with the knee thing now. And like, all right, how am I going to spend my time in between work and um, just the day-to-day? So I loved catching Ecuador versus Bolivia. The red card was a tough thing. Ecuador came out on top 6-1. to one. Um, that was one of the biggest score goal differentials of the uh, first couple days of competition. That was back on July 8th. And then it was Colombia versus Paraguay, Colombia coming up 4-2. Got a chance to see some of that and then a work call and you know how life goes. We did have a couple of shutouts, Brazil blanking, Argentina 4-0, Colombia. The next day, well, what, three days later, defeating Bolivia 3-0. We also had Venezuela over Uruguay, uh, 1 to0 and Paraguay and Chile came to a 3-2 conclusion with Paraguay on top. That was a very interesting close fought game. Um, I was pretty impressed with just the quality and caliber of play and man, the ferocity. There have been some real. I mean, these are the kind of games where you're just like, oh my goodness. Can it get any harder? Can they make it any tougher on each other? And while I'm sure it's possible, they certainly made it seem like they were coming close to, you know, breaking the sort of barrier on that. It was it was really amazing to watch. Uh, then the games that followed. Well, we had Uruguay versus Brazil. Uruguay getting the early red card, down three to zero. Argentina uh, coming on top over Peru, four to zero, and for that was our July 12th competitions, and then on the 14th, it was Paraguay beating Bolivia 2-0, to and Chile overcoming Ecuador 2-1 to on the 14th. It's been fun watching just a couple of games each day, also intersplicing those with uh, the Euro 2022 games that I've been able to catch, a nice sort of trade-off. Um, things got a little bit wild when uh, when it came around to the 15th. Argentina beating Uruguay, 5-0. That was a really intense match. And then Venezuela topping Peru, 2-0. On Sunday, we had Chile beating Bolivia, 5-0. And Ecuador falling to Colombia, 2-1. Quite the mismatch, you know, one a really hotly contested goal differential of, of one, whereas uh, Chile getting the upper hand, keeping the upper hand, and... Really phenomenal, just staunch defense when uh, when it comes to facing off against Bolivia. The next day, two more shutouts, or sorry, yeah, that was the next day. It was July 18th. Uh, Brazil topping Venezuela, 4-0. To Uruguay topping Peru, 6-0. To Those were some intense ones. Caught the Brazil game. Uh, I missed the beginning of the Uruguay-Peru um, game, but then I got a chance to catch up So now we've got uh, Colombia and Chile and Ecuador and Paraguay up next, followed by the next day, Brazil and Peru and Venezuela and Argentina. That will be the end of group play. Once it's all shaken out, there will be a match for fifth place played on July 24th, followed by a semi that Brazil has already qualified for. They will be facing off against a to-be-determined team on the 26th. And then we have the match for third place on Friday the 29th and the final on Saturday, July 30th. It's been really exciting. I'm, I'm really interested to see how this is going to shape out. There were a couple of matchups that I didn't expect to go the way they did. I thought Venezuela would have um, a closer match against Brazil in their most recent contest, as well as Uruguay and Peru. Peru, I know that they had struggled, you know, the 2-0 loss to uh, Venezuela and then also finding themselves down 4-0 to Argentina. But after the Argentina 4-0 and then Venezuela 2-0, I thought maybe their defense was strengthening. But the Uruguay 6-0 loss, that that was just a tough one. Um, It's hard to see them being able to stay in the competition beyond this a um, couple of other teams that I'm not really sure can make it much further. Bolivia, you know, they had the uh, the early loss in the red card, and then they've really struggled. They've uh, fallen victim to two, is it three? Three shutouts. Tough times overall. Um, when your offense can't fire, it's really hard for your defense to do anything more than hold out for as long as they can but you know eventually if there is no offense to counter that that defense will eventually crumble I'm curious to see how this one shakes out I think there's going to be a couple of great possibilities Uh, all right little dude down there is getting restless and finding some papers so I'm going to step away and uh, see if I can get him away from those papers be right back with a little bit more for you now, when it comes to u s. women's national team soccer, there have been some interesting developments and news. it's It's been It's been a series of events. Uh, one that was recently brought to my attention again by my good friend Mr. Tony Farina, who was reminding me in a recent podcast we did together that Kristen Press had torn her ACL. The thing that really was shocking for a lot of fans was the fact that, The U.S. women's national team coach had been very adamant about the fact that press had actually been left off the U.S. women's national team roster prior to the announcement of her injury. She tore her ACL in a 3-2 win over Racing Louisville while she was uh, playing for Angel City FC, one of the newest NWSL expansion teams. But it was... uh, it was the confirmation by, uh, by her coach that, that really kind of threw people for a loop. They, they weren't expecting it. Andonofsky went on the record. Kristen Press, quote, was not on the roster even before the injury. We're very sorry for her injury and don't have confirming information on the extension or significance. We just hope that it's not too serious. Later on that day, Press confirmed on Twitter that she had torn her ACL, saying that her heart was broken. She is readily accepting all love, prayers, virtual hugs, and dog pics, and smudging ceremonies. Uh, <laughs> she had been quite the aggressive attacker up until this point for Andonovsky, but she was not selected to the team. Instead, Mallory Pugh, Sophia Smith, Alex Morgan, Ashley Hatch, Trinity Rodman were, uh, were coming back to the squad. There was an interesting addendum to Andonofsky's statements about Press saying, for Kristen to be back on the field is not just for her to perform well in her club environment, it's also to outperform the players that she's competing against. And it's easy, it's not easy to be a forward in the United States right now, obviously. It's great, but it's not easy because the competition just got bigger and bigger. Now, Press had not played for the U.S. women's national team since back in... uh, Tokyo Olympics, and up until that time, she was that aggressive attacker. She was expected to be a mainstay for years to come, perhaps being one of the future leaders on the uh, striking side, providing the goals. However, that that is not the reflection that is seen currently in the roster, and the recent addition of Megan Rapineau, who has played for the OL ring, but has not performed often, and when she has played for them, she's come off of the bench. Rapinoe's experience is something that Andonofsky is uh, looking to right now. He's saying that Rapinoe, Becky Sauerbrunn, are the experienced players who have gone through tough times, but also who know how to win, when under tough circumstances, how to go through adversity, and that uh, the reliance on that is going to be an important factor when things get Critical when things get difficult. It's going to be really interesting to see how the rest of the team does because they've had some moments that have looked really well. They've also had moments where they're being compared against their past. Back on July 14th, they faced off against Costa Rica. They had a 2 0 lead. And then it was mentioned that, you know, up until now, they'd never scored fewer than three goals against. Costa Rica, only to then in the like 90th minute or so pick up a third goal to equal their lowest scoring performance against Costa Rica. That's a tough bar to measure against your, your, who you are when you were one team in the past. Who you are each year is a different team, a different squad with different possibilities and makeups and how those match up with the different team you're playing against from another country is a key factor in what that goal differential is going to be. They also had a 1-0 win over Canada. Canada expected to be one of the big favorites in all the competitions. And so it was that the uh, US Women's National Team, without press and with the addition of senior players like Rapinoe and Sauerbronn, they were able to win the CONCACAF Women's Championship with a 1-0 win over Canada, advancing there with that 3-0 win over Costa Rica in the semifinal. Then getting into uh, a final round previously where they had defeated Mexico 1-0 as well as a 5-0 win over Jamaica. So there's been moments where they've been able to produce a lot of goals against tougher opponents like Mexico and Canada. They've been able to you know win with a goal and have that be all that they need. But their direction will be very intriguing for fans following along. Those who know that press will not be considered because she's out for the rest of the season while she recovers from the ACL. Strong chance she might not be back until next year. If she were to make an appearance earlier than that for the U.S. Women's National Team, it would only be because she met the requirements that Andonofsky had mentioned. This idea that she needs to be outperforming the players that she's going up against on the U.S. Women's National Team. And it would appear at this moment that that's not something that Andonofsky was see. So we'll have to see how that shakes out. Curious to see what the developments are. And I'm looking forward to it. Hey, I know I usually try and have a happy-go-lucky story at the end. I did not find one for this one. But stay tuned for the next episode. We'll see if I can put one of those together. As always, if you have a great soccer story I should be sharing on here, go on into those liner notes, send me an email. I'd love to share it with others. Until next time. It's been great hanging out, talking great soccer, football, and footy with you.